This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have Elizabeth Dela Cruz Santana, who is currently a PhD candidate for University of California, Davis. Her focus is on Spanish, Latin America literatures, cultures, and human rights. She's a scholar, educator, public speaker, artist. She does it all. So it's a privilege to have you on. Man, thank you. And thank you for that introduction. And I do feel like I, in a way, I kind of do do it all in, in a sense. Jack of all trades. Exactly. Well, I try to see because you don't know where you might end up at once you finish your PhD. So. Right. Absolutely. Um, so for those who are wondering, can you start with a basic introduction, uh, your background and your field of study? Yes. So I'm currently a PhD candidate at UC Davis. And right now I'm just working on my dissertation. So I am under a fellowship during, um, under the UC system and working in my first book manuscript, which is my intended hope to you know, get published once I do finish my PhD and start uh, the tenure track route. So that's what I'm working on right now. I do study 20th and 21st century Mexican-American, um, Latinx, Chicanx literature and culture. And that's basically where my field of research falls in and also what I am really interested in teaching. Could we talk a little bit about that project, that dissertation and more specifically what you're working on with that? Yes, so I started in 2016. I applied to be a part of the Humanizing Deportation Project and I was accepted. So I went in with the idea of studying the Chilean dictatorship and to study testimonial literature. Mm -hmm. And you know, with humanizing deportation, we ended up working really closely with uh, folks in Tijuana, and we started creating digital narratives with uh, people who have been deported or displaced uh, by our immigration policies. Got it. Um, what are some of the main reasons why child migrants leave their home country? Do, do you have any stories that you could share? I always think about Tania Mendoza's story, who is also part of the Mural Project. And in her case, her family was trying to legalize their status. But in, there was some like immigration lawyers who did something um, bad with their case. And they basically just took their money and the family was left uh, oh, wow. with, mm -hmm. yeah, like malpractice happens all the time. And I think <laughs> that's something that wow. yeah. we don't want to think about. Because they probably take advantage of the, the language barrier. So because exactly. they speak fluently language mm -hmm. so that's something that happened with them yeah. i think they were um the lawyers actually applied for asylum instead of permanent residency which it doesn't fall within for mexican nationals um at least in that time period for them specifically so the immigration judge told them like i'm sorry like i have to process your deportation order and the, fa the family was like well it's not our fault that our lawyers did this so the judges was just more like providing ideas of what they could do so the idea is that they stayed in the U.S. and Tanya grew up with a deportation order and something happened. The police uh, was called into a situation that uh, was happening in her neighborhood. And then because she didn't have any documents, she was taken by the police and under the safe communities protocols, um, the police transferred her to immigration. And that's when she got deported. Wow. Um, um, is there any, I guess, information on her whereabouts today? Or? Yes. So both Tanya and Isaac are in Tijuana right now. And mm -hmm. 
I believe both of them already reached their 10-year bar, which means that they were banned from the U.S. for 10 years and they couldn't even process any documents to be, I guess, considered to return to the U.S. legally. Um, but she's currently Tijuana. She is hopeful that she's able to return to the U.S. because she does have a daughter who grew up without her mom, without seeing her for this entire time. And in the recent years, she's been wow. able to talk to her via, you know, right now with like the technology that we have, like FaceTime and just text. But she is trying to fight custody for her daughter. So it's really intense because I feel like deportation doesn't just only displace the person, but it inflicts so much pain and makes everything else more complex in her situation, her motherhood, like not being able to have contact with her daughter in person and for so many years to even know how she's doing. So there's just so many things that go into play here. And I think that our immigration law system doesn't really consider these as well. Right. Absolutely. It's a very human issue and we're talking about families right adolescents or younger whether they're being you know separated from their parents or just taking long periods of time w without them that definitely affects emotionally and developmentally um, and our laws and our policies not many times take that into uh, consideration so that's something that you should put more <laughs> focus and energy into yeah, especially I feel like for her daughter, you know, she was born in the U.S. So let's say that we do want to protect our citizens. Then what about the children of immigrants who are citizens and then their parents get displaced or they get incarcerated or, you know, they have to serve time in a detention center? Then we are not really considering their rights or the privilege of being a U.S. citizen. Policies should fall within the moral ground and maybe they don't. And I think that's something that constantly all these stories are showing us, you know? Right. Um, so about the mural project, obviously we have the educational side of it, um, but then also there's a artistic component. Could you explain what that's about? The idea comes from that a lot of the narrative, the narratives that we created are from Tijuana. So we wanted mm -hmm. to make sure that the people who were coming to the border we're able to also realize that the border is not just this material thing that we see on a constant day-to-day -day basis or that it's portrayed in the media. And I wanted to find a way to make it more humane to show the stories. So basically it portrays the stories of seven immigrants and they all have different profiles but are linked to the idea of being a childhood arrival to the U.S. So someone who- So was, there's actual art, uh, sorry, so there's actual art on the border wall? Yes, there's actual art mm -hmm. um, and it's not just like doodles or messages like written messages which is something that it's really well known there at that border point um, in Friendship Park so there's a lot of messages that people leave behind you would find all these huge portraits at the border and they're actually at the border point close to the beach so I think it's something that always calls the attention when you go to Playa de Tijuana and you just can't miss it if you're there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I would love to see that one day, actually, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's still there. So I'm hopeful it stays there for five more years. At least. Right, right. Uh, God forbid no earthquakes. That's what you guys got out there in California. <laughs> no earthquakes happen. Yeah, the earthquakes or with the initiative of transforming the border wall mm. there. Right now, a lot of the border wall that was 
there before Trump is being replaced currently right oh, now. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So yeah. one of my, I guess I do worry about it, but then at the end, it's just like, well, we'll do it and we'll do it again. So it doesn't really <laughs> matter if it gets replaced. Cool. Yeah. So um, in terms of projects that you're currently working on, um, that you're conceptualizing and that's coming up next, uh, what are some of those? So I'm basically drawing and creating art in different mediums related to what I'm writing in my dissertation. Will that will be my first manuscript as a you know PhD mm-hmm. candidate? And I'm basically transforming what themes and what analysis I'm creating in my dissertation into something that I could interact with because that's how mm-hmm. I think. Like I have to first write somewhere or create notes somewhere else, and then I'm able to write. Mm-hmm. So. That reflective process I want to make into hopefully later on into my own, I guess, book project or just create something online based on drawings and paintings that I am creating. Right. So that's actually interesting. Um, <clears throat> how has your work changed since the lockdown? You know, not being able to go out and interact directly with these people. It's been difficult, honestly, because before, if I felt like it, I would just say, okay, I'll save enough money, go to Tijuana, you know, stay there for a week or two, and then come back home and do my thing again. But with COVID, I mean, that's really hard. So I actually did end up going in October of last year. Obviously, with all the precautions, I had a family emergency and I had to, I had to go to Mexico. So I was like, okay, I'll stop in Tijuana and I'll see the people that I usually collaborate with and who are also my friends. And, you know, you still are doing your thing. You are, you know, staying in touch with them, but you're still worried that, you know, you might infect them or that, you know, you don't know where everything is because it's just something that is out of our control at the moment. So I realized that even if we had like the best of intentions and took care of each other, that me traveling to Mexico was not a possibility at this moment because my idea was to work on the mural project then and it didn't happen. Mm. So it's just learning how to let go of your expectations and your plans and to work on something else that you could actually control at the moment. So that's been a huge process for me to come to that realization to say that, well, I'll put this project on hold again this summer and see where life takes me then. Um, part of that process also has allowed us to create panels and to participate together in public talks. So I think that's something that I'm very proud of, that it's not just my voice being given the space to talk about the research that we're doing together, but that I'm also able to invite someone and have them get paid right. for their labor. So that's that always helps. Really important <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah, it's really important. So I'm glad we... Uh, we're getting those opportunities together. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an adjustment period for everybody. Right. Um, yeah. So it's we're, we're all figuring this out in, in real time, still trying to be productive, still trying to make the same impacts. Um, so it's, it's definitely an adjustment. Now, um, if anybody's interested in the work that you do, specifically with childhood arrivals, do you have any resources that they could contact or just look into further? Yes. So now with, you know, the increase of numbers of child arrivals who are arriving in Tijuana or Mexico City or Guadalajara, like the bigger cities in Mexico, um, it's really important to figure out, okay, how can we support from this side of the border? 
um, because you know our money is worth more in Mexico, um, for example, or having like resources, um, legal resources, that's also important. So in Tijuana, we do have the veterans, the US veterans um, support group. And there's actually two groups there. And if you are on Facebook, for example, and just put US supported veterans, you'll see the different groups there. So I think that's a nice way of like social media allowing us to interact with anyone who needs this type of support. And in Mexico City, there's also uh, New Comienzos. That's another, I would call it a support group that also links people to work opportunities. And I think that's really important. Um, most of the time they start working in call centers because you know they speak English and it's a really good paying job compared to other jobs in Mexico City. And then there's the um, Otros Dreams in Acción, which is ODA, which is also a support group. And I highly do recommend them because I feel like the way that they interact with folks is very humane and it has like a aspect of care, which I, I feel like that's what we need, you know, um, supporting folks who are returning. And then there's also Dreaming in Mexico, which is also in Mexico City, but they all support anyone who returns any that support. And then one of the other ones that I also recommend, and it's not just exclusive to child arrivals, but to anyone, and it's Deportados Unidos en la Lucha. So all of these you can find on social media. And I think it's really nice to, you know, think ahead if you are considering, for example, returning to Mexico on your own, because that's that happens all the time. That folks just get tired of like policies that we have here in the US and Going just the whole process not being able to waiting. fulfill mm -hmm. waiting, right? And I mean, there's nothing wrong if you want to go back to Mexico, perfect. Okay, so how can you do it? So I think um, from what I've read and in my experience, Dreaming in Mexico and ODA are two of their organizations that really do support folks who just decide to go back on their own and to see how that experience is. Mm -hmm. But obviously with deportation, I think it's also important to consider that deportation brings in different layers of trauma mm -hmm. and this forced displacement. So there's support now, but before we would really not find any of it. So when you're saying support, you're saying if they come back to their home country, you know, will they have a place to stay, um, some counseling? Because you were saying like the psychological effects and emotional effects, um, the places that you name, they take care of those aspects? Yeah, so they try to connect you with, you know, folks who are knowledgeable in these situations. Mm -hmm. And also like the Mexican state, I mean, I don't want to criticize them to its full potential in public, but I feel you know, that, okay, <laughs> I know, it's just more critical, you know, suggestions, but they do offer, for example, a one-way flight to any destination in Mexico. So if mm. you do get deported at the border, they do try to connect you with like the resources to get to where you need to get to. Mm. But I feel like sometimes people don't want to stay in Mexico. So how do you help them assimilate to the idea that you might have a five-year, 10-year or, or life bar? Like, how do you let them know that? returning is not a possibility right now. And I think that's where I feel like we still need a little bit more work in adapting those concepts. Wow. Um, well, Elizabeth, I definitely appreciate you coming on. I would love to see this mural and other art projects. I, I need to see it live. So, you know, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you can show me firsthand um, because it, it brings certain level of humanity something that's often, you know, left out 
you know, the conversation outside of the news. So uh, that's an important piece that we need. So I appreciate the work that you do. Oh, yeah, of course. And thank you. Thank you to lead researcher Con Branch, assistant producers Luke Bianco and David White, and music by Brandon Williams. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.